On a notorious day, in 1914 in Sarajevo, a young radical assassinated Archduke Francis Ferdinand and his consort, the heirs to the Austro-Hungarian throne. This event sounded the death knell for the Austro-Hungarian Empire, and a few weeks later, World War I broke out. At first, when the cruel war erupted, Freud was shocked, but later he became calm, ignored the war, and began to concentrate on his theories. The conflict did not seriously interfere with Freud's academic activities. On the contrary, the psychoanalytic movement's development was extensive during this period. But the war left Freud's clinic with little income, his sons and sons-in-law were unemployed, and Freud had to resort to borrowing to make ends meet. As the war dragged on for many years, the turbulent international situation deteriorated. After the First World War, the Second World War brought further devastation. In 1938, under Hitler's reign of terror, the German army occupied Austria. Nazi persecution of Jews fell on Freud and his family. Their property was confiscated. And their eldest son Martin and daughter Anna were summoned for questioning. The war caused Freud to consider the theme of death more deeply. It was a subject he had focused on for many years. As a way to explain the darker and more destructive sides of human behavior, he conceived of an additional drive, the death drive. The death drive was the counterpart to Eros, represented in the theory of libido as a drive to pleasure in life. On the other hand, the death drive has two manifestations. One, inward-directed destruction, and the other, outward-directed aggression. The first aspect is often characterized by a tendency towards self-destruction and suicidal behavior, while the latter is aggressive represented by violence. For Freud, violence is not only present in brutality and killings. It is also in the jokes and sarcasm of everyday life and in sports that involve competition and confrontation. In Freud's theory, Eros and the death drive have a dualistic relationship. His book Civilization and its Discontents elucidates the outcomes of his thinking around the death drive. We have also produced this great work as a bookie for you. The war years impacted Freud's personal life as much as they disturbed his academic research. In 1923, the same year that The Ego and the ID was published, the Grim Reaper knocked on his door. In the spring of that year, he developed a leukoplastic growth in his oral cavity. It was later confirmed to be oral cancer. Freud did not want to broadcast such an affliction to the world. He had a rhinologist operate on him. While he recovered from the operation, his health was still badly affected, but he didn't let it interrupt his work. He pressed ahead with theoretical research and writing. To suppress his oral cancer, he underwent multiple surgical procedures and x-ray treatments. The disease progressed rapidly, compromising Freud's ability to speak and eat when the surgeon was obliged to insert a prosthesis into his mouth. The man so familiar with the application of psychoanalysis to help others, now analyzed the severity of his own condition. He told his grandson, don't try to live forever, you will not succeed. While on the one hand, Freud suffered physically, he still had to deal with political turmoil on the other. Following his family's persecution during the Nazi occupation, many of his papers and books were burned. Under Hitler's reign of terror, many Jews chose suicide, but strong willpower and resilience was Freud's natural temperament. For Freud, there were only two imperatives of survival through that hard time, described in letters to his son, to see you all together, and to die in freedom. It was only through his friends Ernest Jones and Princess Marie Bonaparte's intervention that Freud, 
fearful of the present and confused about the future decamped to Britain. There in London, he lived and continued his work. His new home 20, Maresfield Gardens was shaded by tall trees and surrounded by flower gardens. The decorations, furniture, and displays of antiques mirrored Freud's Viennese residence. As soon as Freud moved in, 20, Maresfield Gardens became as famous as Burgas 19 in Vienna. When his children took a taxi home, the driver heard the address and said, oh, it's Dr. Freud's place. Martha was surprised that some letters addressed only to Freud in London were delivered to the house when they had only lived there, for three days. She exclaimed, in short, for the first time in late in life I have experienced what fame means. By this time, Martha Freud was very old. In London, Freud's youngest daughter Anna cared for the home and enabled his work. Anna Freud was born in 1895, the same year psychoanalysis was born with Freud and Brewer's studies on hysteria. She was the youngest of Freud's six children and the only one to become a psychotherapist. By the time the Freud family arrived in Britain, Anna's reputation was already well established in the field of psychoanalysis. She assisted her father while conducting her research on child development. Despite his daughter's care, by February 1939, Freud's cancer cells had advanced to a point where even a scalpel could not reach them. By June, the cancerous tissue began to suppurate, emitting a smell so unpleasant that even the family dog would not go near him. His personal physician Max Scher had no choice. He attended the Freud residence on September 19 to administer his last treatment, euthanasia. Freud who had been in a coma heard her professor. He opened his eyes, waved to Scher, and then fell back to sleep. Two days later, when Scher was by his bedside again, Freud grabbed his hand tightly and said, Sure, you remember our contract not to leave me in the lurch when the time had come, now it is nothing but torture and makes no sense. Understanding, Sure indicated that he had not forgotten his promise. Freud grabbed Sure's hand again and said, Talk it over with Anna, and if she thinks it's right, then make an end of it. Nearly four decades earlier, Freud had written to Oscar Pfister. Freud wondered what one would do when thoughts fail or words will not come. The letter continued saying he could not suppress a tremor before this possibility. That is why with all the resignation before destiny that suits an honest man, I have one holy secret entreaty, only no invalidism, no paralysis of one's powers through bodily misery, let us die in harness, as King Macbeth says. Schur had listened to one of Freud's lectures as a medical student. Freud's theories filled him with admiration. And later, he became Freud's personal physician. Freud's oral cancer originated around 1928, and he had suffered since that time. Discussing the prognosis, Schur had agreed that when the time came, he would administer morphine. Finally, Anna was persuaded like her father resigned to fate. Freud's decision was immediate when he knew his time was up. Schur wept, knowing that Freud was willing to accept death with dignity and without self-pity. So that he would sleep soundly, Schur injected Freud with 30 milligrams of morphine. When Freud became disturbed, he gave him a further injection. The next day another dose, and Freud never woke up again. The great figure of world history died on September 23, 1939 at 3 a.m. He was 83 years old. Through wisdom and level-headedness, at the end, Freud went to his death freely. By saying, Goodbye. To the world in this unequivocal way, he exercised his free will over death. 
Freud had in mind that death could be liberation, the living choosing to die, not death extinguishing life. In this way, he declared to the world that he had never lost control of his life.